Well, are bond funds a good buy? Today we're going to take a look. Stay tuned for Prudent Money. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prudent Money Radio Show. I'm your host, Bob Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know I do appreciate it. Well, if you got a question for me, please go to the website at www.prudentmoney.com. There's two ways to get an answer. The first is through a Q&A email. I can help you up to a certain extent with that. Sometimes questions are a little bit more uh, difficult to answer just in an email. So we want to uh, go to our second resource, which I'm uh, real proud of this. We just set this up a couple of weeks ago. And it is a way for you to go onto my calendar, block off some time, and I, I leave uh, several spots open each week. I obviously can't uh, leave tons of them open, but I do leave some of them open. And you're welcome to take that spot, and we can have a phone call, Zoom call, whatever makes sense for you to help you get your question answered. And a lot of people take advantage of that. And if uh, you want to do that, that is your second way to get information. So all of that you will find at the website, prudentmoney.com. Let's talk a little bit about what we, uh, just as a follow-up on what we were talking about yesterday. I was talking about the incredibly high interest rates that go along with consumer stores. So these are your... If you're going to a Best Buy, you're going to get a Best Buy card. It's, it's labeled under the store's name, not just a Visa or a MasterCard. It's, it's actually labeled under the, the, uh, the name of the store. The problem is, is that 30% interest rates, we were talking about this yesterday. I think the range is somewhere like 28% to 50, excuse me, to 35%. I personally have not seen a a credit card at 35% yet, but I understand that they are out there. And this is a real problem because so, especially I I think it's it's a way that the retail community is taking advantage of a situation with consumers by offering these because we're in the middle of Christmas season and most most moms and dads want to do whatever they can to get the, to uh, get their kids a good Christmas, and that might mean that might mean it has so many times in the past to get a credit card, get a new credit card with all the intentions of paying it off, and uh, all the good intentions of paying it off. And there's a lot of uh, assuming in that that calculation as to whether you you do it or not. But it's so very easy to talk yourself into, especially when they're going to take you. Because it really, and this is pure speculation on my part, it would seem to me that they're going to take you regardless of your credit because they're charging 30 to 35%, right? So they're already treating you as a good risk. That's, that's That's just what intrigues me, I guess is a good word for that, is that these retail, these retailers are, treating somebody with good credit who might have an 800-something score as a person with bad credit by charging them 29%. And the, the problem that I have with it is that retailers don't go out of their way 
to make sure that people really understand the details before they, they charge. They basically help them get into debt. And the problem is, once you get into debt at 30% to 35% interest rates, it is almost impossible to get out of debt when you're, when you're uh, in that type of situation. So therein lies the problem, at least the problem that I have with it. And uh, they're available. And you can, you can buy your kids, uh, you know, two or $3,000 worth of gifts or your family, two or $3,000 gifts, whatever you do. I would highly recommend, though, to make sure that you are reading the fine print. And I, and I know that this fine print is going to be a lot, lo- a lot finer. <laughs> and, uh, but, but just know what you're signing up for and getting yourself into. And also know about, just take a step back. Put a little space between the stimulus and the reaction. And realize that human nature takes over in its emotional form during these times of the year. We have a tendency to spend money on things that we probably don't have any business spending money on. There's nothing worse than that January hangover when you get the bills. And uh, I know that this is the way consumers have operated for, you know, decades. And I've done a little bit of that myself. And it always, I mean, it just never comes out to be a good thing. So just make sure you... you uh, you're very careful about how you're spending money this uh, this Christmas. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. It's really unbelievable that I'm talking about Christmas. It's November the 16th. Not even still over a month left until then. But I tell you what, it, it's, it's just amazing to me. My wife and I are walking in our neighborhood last night and looking at all of the houses that are lit up for Christmas. And it's amazing. It truly is amazing. And it just seems like Christmas, the Christmas spirit, which we could use a little bit of Christmas spirit in this country, I just 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 to uh, say that. And the, the Christmas spirit is a lot earlier this year. It seems like it gets a little bit earlier every year. So that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. In this Lending Tree data report that they put out about these in-store cards, they said consumer interest in store cards has fallen to its lowest level since 2018, meaning people aren't, uh, just 27% of consumers are, are at least somewhat likely to apply for a store credit card this holiday season. That's down from 35% in 2022 and is the lowest since 2018. Record high rates aren't necessarily scaring people away from store cards. Among those who say they're at least somewhat likely to apply, 69% would consider applying for a card with an interest rate of 30% or higher. Let me read that again. Among those who say they're at least somewhat likely to apply. So the 27 that of the 27% of consumers that are somewhat likely to apply, over half of them, which would be about 14, 13, 14%, 15%, say no big deal. We would consider applying for a car with an interest rate of 30% higher. 
boy, that's that is uh, that is really putting yourself into a, a bad situation. Just uh, just know that. And here's the other thing too. Is that there is when you go and you uh, we were uh, in a in a uh, re- uh, in a store the other night, and my wife and I, and uh, they were really pushing the credit card. You sign up for the credit card, you get 20% off and this, this, that, and the other. And I said, no, I said, yeah, I'm not really not interested. And I, I wish I would have gone ahead and taken the application just to see where is the fine print that says 30 to 35% or 29 or 28. It's all, it's all relative. It's all high. And just to see, because no bells and whistles are going to go off, no warning signs are going to be sounded and that fine print's going to be extremely, extremely fine. So please, just be careful. Last time we'll say it. And uh, just know that those retailers aren't looking out for you. They're looking to, to uh, survive a what could be a very mild consumer spending uh, environment at Christmas in 2023. Had a question come in. I like to uh, catch up on questions on Thursday. Uh, Dear Bob, I've heard so much on the fiduciary standard with financial advisors, and I'm just not sure what it all means. Could you please explain? Basically, what they're trying to do, regulators are trying to do, is make it a level playing field for those who purchase and invest into investments and and products that are going to go towards retirement and the way they do that is they you know the this the system you you gotta assume this is the way it is the system is set up with different compensation levels so if you come if you go to a financial advisor and the financial advisor shows you investment a and says, this is a good one, but take a look at investment B. And they go, well, tell me which one you recommend. And I say, well, investment B is the one to recommend. The financial advisor says, investment B is the one to, to, to invest in because of this reason, this reason, this reason. Instead of investment A. Now, it just so happened that the advisor got paid a higher commission on investment B. And so there's a conflict of interest there. And so what the regulators want to do is get rid of that conflict of interest. And they, they put a thousand page, I believe this is what I heard. I, I do uh, reserve the right to be wrong from time to time. I believe it was a, a thousand page document about the fiduciary standard. And the fiduciary standard simply means this. That as a financial advisor, and they're wanting to roll this out to everybody in the business, which I think is a great idea. Every, every the, if a, a an advisor who is under the fiduciary standard does the right thing for the client above his or her best interests, so that person, that advisor, puts the the client first above their interest. That they, that they get the best deal possible, uh, not that the, the financial advisor gets their, gets their best deal. 
So, well, in fact, let me get back to that in a second because we do we are up against a break. Hey, this is Bob Brooks. Stick around. I will be right back. Welcome back. This is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you got a question for me, there's two ways to get an answer. You can go to prudentmoney.com, go to the Q&A at the top of the page, send in an email, and that's the first way. If that is not enough to get your, your question answered, I do have uh, on my calendar blocks of 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes that you can go sign up for and we can have a phone call over the, uh, over the phone. I feel very led to do this and open this up to the public. Obviously, I can't spend my whole week doing it, but I can spend a certain amount of time during each week and make sure that you are getting help. I think this is one of the most important things that as a financial advisor community we can do is to help get you educated on how all this works, how to make a good decision, how to invest in properly invest into things that are suited for you. So uh, that's available for you as well. That's all at the website, and there's no cost to it by, by uh, no means any cost. And it's all there for you at prudentmoney.com. Talking about the fiduciary standard, and that's where a financial advisor puts their client above his or her's best interests. And I, I, I listen to that oftentimes and I just think, well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. And yet there are a lot of, and I blame this on the industry. The industry has, if you're going to put out a bunch of commission products and you're going to charge, I mean, you're going to pay out different higher commissions on higher commissions on some products versus the other products. You're just, you're going to invite advisors to make a bad choice for their clients instead of the best choice for their clients. It just happens. And uh, that's, that's what they need to fix. They need to have a standardized, I mean, everybody needs to, to make a living there's no question. But this gets excessive. So the, here in one page, I probably could have fixed this whole fiduciary standard situation. So who knows what's all in that document. But it wouldn't take much to put one document together, a small document, and say, hey, this is what uh, insurance companies have to do. This is what investment companies have to do. All standardized fees. And nobody gets more than the other. And uh, it just works out that way. But they don't do that. They go a different right way because they want to – there's other things included in that bill, whatever whatever it is. I'm not really sure. So – but anyway, that is the answer to your question as to what that means. And uh, the White House put out a statement. And, you know, here's here's what's interesting to me is that politics – are nothing more than statements that grab your attention but are truly meaningless. Truly meaningless. If there's... And Tony Joe always says this, and I and I totally agree with him. He always says, the thing that just in, frustrates me the most with politicians is they say things that are not true or they say things that are kind of twisted around and uh, loosely true. And try to imply in, in that, that, that something is that it's not. And so they're depending on everybody being, I guess, dumb and unaware. So they'll believe what they're saying. And here, here's, here's the, this, this one just is unbelievable to me. Got no surprise coming from the White House. 
A new retirement advice standard in a proposal released on 1031, the U.S. Labor Department is seeking to make the fiduciary standard applicable to any advisor, broker, or agent who provides retirement advice in rollover IRAs. Let's stop right there. Here, just right off the bat, what does not make sense. Why wouldn't they make, if this is a, 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 a problem across the board, why wouldn't they make this towards every investment, just not roll, roll, uh, rollover IRAs? Makes no sense. The White House claims the measure will cut junk fees and increase returns in these accounts by 0.2 and 1.2% or 20% over the lifetime of a retirement. Where in the world did they get these numbers? Unbelievable. Now, I do believe they need to include everybody in it who is who is in the capacity, who holds the capacity of working with uh, clients needs to be under the fiduciary standard. I don't believe that they've got there yet. They, you have to remember, they've been working on this for, by, I want to say, four or five years. And uh, it's there's some good things about it, and there's some, some things I think that are just uh, uh, not so good, but that's, that's with anything, right? But junk, you know, what are junk fees? I've, I've never even heard that term in the 30-plus years I've been in, in the business. Junk fees, and they're going to increase return from 0.2, which is not much, 1.2, which is really not much, or 20% over the lifetime of a retirement. Oh, boy. So anyway, there you have it. That's what it means. Uh, uh, the, the best example I can give for a rollover IRA is that as an advisor, if you go and you talk to somebody who is a client and you say that I think you should move that 401k over to this IRA and talks about how great the IRA is and the investments in the IRA and all that kind of thing. They've got to have the, the proof that their recommendation is in the best interest of the client because the client's going to have to pay fees now that the client was not paying. And uh, it has to be, it has to be note, noted that they, uh, you know, if they are paying higher fees than what they were paying. Excuse me. So that uh, they they want to disclose all that and make sure that that uh, it is in the best interest for them to move their money. Now I will tell you what I found is that for an advisor to move money from a rollover IRA, I mean, excuse me, from like a, a four hundred one k plan to a rollover IRA, then it, it's it's got to it's there's got to be a big enough incentive for the client to do that to start paying fees and most of the time it's a parallel move it's going from asset allocation to another asset allocation granted probably the advisor has got more uh, obviously has more options and more choices to invest into which can make a an argument for that but for the most part there's really not anything that's just a big difference maker that they're bringing to the table unless in my opinion you can you can invest for good markets and bad markets. That's something that most people don't do and can't do. 
So that's a definite, a def, in my opinion, and I've got a bias, obviously, but that's, that is a definite opinion in, in my eyes. So it's, it's going to be interesting as they roll this out and, uh, and, and how, uh, if, if, it's going, if it's going to do any good or not. I hope it does. I really do. I think that uh, we, uh, just like anything else, we need some reforming in this particular, this particular industry. Well, I only have about four, yeah, about four minutes left, and I want to talk a little bit about bond, in uh, bond mutual funds, and beg the question and, and put out the, the put the question out there. Is our bond mutual funds a good place to invest money? You know, we used to say for the longest time. One of the options in a 401k plan is the old 60-40 type investment where you put 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds. The problem that we're running into is that bonds have just been annihilated. You know, they lost 15, uh, the one big, probably one of the bigger bond index funds of out on the market today lost 15% last year, which is an enormous re- loss. Of, in fact, I think it's one of the biggest losses in the history of bond funds. And then three lost the year before that, negative 3.44%, which was for a bond fund still is a big loss. Not 15, but 3.44. Now, if they lose this year, which they're they're on track to do, that'll be three years in a row. That's never happened in history of the bond market. So to answer your question, I think that uh, bonds are a little too early to be jumping into quite yet. I don't think that we've experienced the full amount of problems that bonds are going to have. I think by the time next year is over, we will. And probably at that situation, nobody's going to want to buy bonds, which is always the time to buy bonds. Uh, But, uh, it really comes down, and I talked about this yesterday, it really does come down to not that the Federal Reserve Board is, is going to stop raising rates. I think we've kind of figured that out, even though they could do it one or two more times. It's whether they're going to cut interest rates. That I don't see. That's what the market is banking on. And that kind of, that kind of action, aggressive action, by the Fed would show, would start to signal to me, depending on how much bonds have lost, that bonds may be a good place to go into. There's going to be a point, I believe, that bond funds are going to be an excellent, excellent place to go and invest your money. I just don't think that we're there yet. So what you're looking for, and this is not advice, not to be construed as advice in your 401k plans for a bond substitute, is these high-yielding money markets. They're short-term government bond funds, and they should be somewhere between 3 and 4% year-to-date return, uh, close, well, actually between 4 to 5%. But they are positive, and they're making money. And that's, that is, has been a good place to hide out. Fortunately, you're seeing a, most 401k plans have that type of uh, fund in it, which is good. So that it can be used as a substitute. 
and uh, to replace bond funds. And, of course, stocks have done well this year. We'll see how they do uh, over the next year and a half. Got a huge political election next year, and, uh, boy, it's just going to get more fun, isn't it? Hey, this is Bob Brooks, and you are listening to the Prudent Money Radio Show. If you got a question for me, please go to the website at prudentmoney.com and send it in because we are all out of time. Till we do meet again next time, keep the faith and have a great rest of the day.